0: I want to walk through Acts 13 and 14 today. And, uh, some of this, it isn't so much um, how do we live, uh, but it's, it does describe the development of Christianity and how uh, even missions began to take place within the church. And so it's important to have some of that uh, going, understanding anyway. In Acts chapter 13, uh, it's, they're in a place called Syrian Antioch, uh, Ant, a city of Antioch in Syria. Later on, we're going to see a, a second city named Antioch, but it's in a different region. But the, there are five leaders mentioned in this first passage. And it says that they're fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart Paul and Barnabas. So two of the five are asked to go do missions. And one of the things that, that we're to observe and understand about the gospel of this season, so to speak, that even um, goes about today, is that This is the age of good news where the gospel is to be preached to every tribe and every nation, every language group, is to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what has initially happened in the book of Acts is that you have this amazing outpouring in Jerusalem and thousands of people get saved, come to God, and that church grows rapidly and thousands more are added, but at some point... Um, they really, they're really they either not listening or God says, I'm going to do something so different that you wouldn't get it. But a persecution comes upon them and they are scattered and then the gospel begins to go into other regions. And so the initial evangelization, so to speak, of going outward uh, happens through persecution. It doesn't happen through good times. And one of the things that we have to grasp out of this is that God uses good times and bads to accomplish His good. That can either make us fall into a situation of going, well, how come He lets bad things happen to good people, which you hear regularly, or you develop this, I want to say hopeless, that's not it, but you have this undying hope (laughs) that no matter what situation in you're in, there's a silver lining because God has good intent. And that's, that's I guess, where I find myself, where I, I, I realize that it doesn't matter how dark things get, there's this awareness that God has his hand on it so I can have hope about what's going to be. Now, does he bail me out of everything? No. And the some of this self-cause? Absolutely. But at the same time, there's this awareness God has good intent. So even in this setting, these people that go out, that are they lose house and home, family, all the rest. They still have a joy about their lives that is spilling over into other lives. And people are responding to it and coming into the kingdom of God. And that's something that, in a sense, we need to grasp and say, You know what? They weren't overcome by this difficulty, but they responded in joy to the Lord and found that the gospel was being presented anyway. Even in that, though, God's intent was to call people and say, I want you to go out without having to be pushed. In other words, he's drawing them into other situations and saying, you know, I have good intent for these regions that go even beyond what you've looked at. I have plans to spread my good news in those settings. And so as this group, these five leaders and others are praying and pursuing God, God says, I want two of you guys out. I want to send you off. And so that's the setting that we find ourselves in. And it says they sent them on their way by the Holy Spirit, they went down to the island of Cyprus, they landed in a couple different cities, and then uh, it says they're proclaiming the word of God in the Jewish synagogue, it says John was with them as their helper. Uh, John Mark was mentioned in, in the previous chapter, at the end of the chapter, also in that early portion of the chapter, his mother's referred to as having been in Jerusalem, the house of Peter went to when uh, he escaped prison. So, okay, they're in Cyprus. Uh, they travel through the whole island. They end up speaking to the pro-council, which means nothing at all to us, except that uh, if you go and look at it, it's the equivalent of the, the governor of the island, okay? So they actually have had significant impact, enough so that the governor has connection with them, and he's wanting to hear the message, and they come into a, a, a confrontation with the man. Um, just. In a sense, though, just to be aware that God, in leading them, has given them enough success that they're in contact with the governor. Pretty impressive, right? At least it is to me. The only one I know in here that's met the governor is Charlie. He's not even in here now. He's with the kids. But (laughs) we'll we'll pray that in future contacts that God gives him words of encouragement and life to speak in that setting. But most of us never get to the governor, right? But Paul and Barnabas did. But there's a confrontation that takes place. Here's an interesting uh, contrast. It says there's a Jewish sorcerer that, that challenges them. He's an ad, attendant to the governor. But uh, those two words don't seem to fit very well together, do they? So the assumption is that he was a cultural Jew, you know, in other words, a Jew in heritage, but participating in things that were messed up. Um, that's about like saying a, a Christian sorcerer, right? You know, a person who would carry the label. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Brought him in a Christian family, went to church some, uh, but still messed up. You know, that's, that's the idea coming across here. And so he's trying to undermine their work and opposes them and, and wants, doesn't want the, the governor listening to them. And Paul, at some point, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, makes this declaration. You're a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So he's laying it on the line, isn't he? There's, there's no more beating around the bush. There's no avoiding. There's just, it's head-to-head confrontation. He says, now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Does that sound familiar to you at all? That's what Paul had walked through himself. He'd been through that very experience, and God gives him opportunity to say, um, I have faith <laughs> that God... Is willing to speak in this situation, and he declares it, and it happens. I have to think that even a Jewish sorcerer could have responded to God just like Paul did if, if he had been willing. Doesn't say what took place. But the result of it is, is that the governor believes and responds to the teaching. He's amazed by what's going on. So the gospel is going out. There's a response. There's a little side note here also. It says John left them to return to Jerusalem, and uh, we'll get into that later because it sounds like he could just the going got tough and he headed home to mom, um, and we'll talk about that a little more later on. Not today. They go from there to this other town called Antioch, Pisidian Antioch. So again. These names don't mean a whole lot to us. What you need to grasp, though, is that they're getting further and further away from Jerusalem. There's less and less influence of Judaism on these people. It says, on Sabbath, they entered the synagogue. So they're they're going into the Jewish settings in these different cities. They sit down, and eventually the leaders, after reading the law and the prophets, say, do you have a word of encouragement to bring to us? And Paul gets up to speak. Now, he walks through their Jewish heritage. It's just like he is dealing with a biblically literate group of people. So they, they are well aware of the Old Testament. And he's going to walk them through that history and then present the message that he has. It's important to see because later on, when he's dealing with people that don't have any Bible background, He's not trying to convince them of the same things. He's not talking about Egypt. You know, in this particular passage, he walks through and he talks about, he starts with Egypt. He says, you know, they they got out of there. God released them as a nation. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They took on seven Canaanite tribes. They uh, spent about 450 years in this land. And then you have Samuel and Saul and David. And then he goes into some detail regarding David and talks of the promises that came through David of a Savior. Then he ties it to the person of Jesus and talks of how John came as a witness of Jesus, and then talks of how Jesus hung on a cross or died, but rose again, wasn't, did not see the decay of death. In other words, there was something unusually different about him that no one else has ever done. So he has brought them through this history, so to speak, and say, okay, we're together on this. We have the same heritage. We we understand the principles of God and how he's worked with us as a people. Now he's uh, tying it to the person of Jesus. And what he draws as being unusual, he says, Jesus didn't decay like the rest of us, like everyone else, but he rose again. And he says that's an opportunity for you and I, if we will turn to him and have the forgiveness of our sins we have opportunity of being united with God and living with him eternally so he's he's bringing in the message that you and I carry right when somebody asks you how did you become a christian you're going to say or what is a christian you know you're going to say well we have eternal life through Jesus Christ we have the forgiveness of sins All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We we all have had that separation because of our sin. We've done things that violated friendship and trust. And yet there's opportunity for reconciliation through Christ. There's opportunity for that sin to be forgotten, washed away. There's a privilege that we have to to step into peace with God one more time. And so that's, that's the essence of his message. He says... Um, I proclaim to you that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, through him everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to attain under the law of Moses. So he goes, you've been going through this law week after week. You've been here every Sabbath. You've been declaring the word. He says, that, that gave you understanding, but it didn't free you of your sin. You understood what sin was, but you didn't have the power to overcome it. He says there's a difference in Jesus. Then he warns him, he says, don't take care. Don't become scoffers. And he quotes an Old Testament passage. He says God's doing something you never would have believed even if someone had told you. Now, that, the next Sabbath, a, a huge crowd shows up. And, you know, they're ready to go again. And and they're all, what's this all about? What's going on? Now, the the leaders of that group, the religious leaders, they get jealous over such a thing. And and so it begins to to have conflict. And they they contradict Paul. And they they heap abuse on him, it says. And here is a critical turning point for our history, so to speak, 46 through 49, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light to the Gentiles. Paul says, I don't have to keep pouring energy into you religious spoke. We're going out. It'd be just like somebody coming in here and saying, Done talking to you religious people, we're going out in the community. That's, that's the same feeling they'd have been walking through. Same experience. Wait a minute, you can't go. We, we've got all this biblical understanding and heritage. You know, we 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 know who Moses was. We know of Jesus. And in a sense, Paul's at this point of just saying, you know what? God's calling us outdoors. He's calling us to something else. And he says, You got your chance. You you heard, but you didn't respond. It's a-, a crucial moment, you know, where he's 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 taking a turn and saying, We're stepping off into another area. We're going to talk to folks that don't have this background. They don't have this cultural heritage. They don't have the understanding of who Moses is. But God is still wanting to speak into their lives. It should, in a sense, grab our own hearts. That, you know, we're living in a culture that's losing its understanding of of what the Scripture is. Losing its understanding of who Jesus is. Losing its understanding of all that's been in regard to history. But there's still the heart of God that says, I want them to hear and know. And so we've got to, in a sense, take our message that says, God cares and loves you and desires relationship. And so that's, what, that's the step that's happening with these guys going out. They're, they are into new territory. Okay, so... The religious people didn't like that, obviously. And there's a persecution that breaks out. It says, Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city and stirred up persecution. So, I mean, those that were in position and should have known better didn't. But they they respond in saying, we're going to stifle this thing. And, uh, you know, it says of Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning. Something done more in that day uh, and just said, you know what, keep even your dust. We're done with you. So they they move on and they encounter division in the the next place that they're at because others kind of followed them and, and this goes. But it says they spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord Who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders? So, even though they're they're having this conflict, even though they have this sense of persecution over them, they are not quitting, they are not stopping, they're not giving up, and the power of God is working through them in a mighty way. People are responding to them. A plot develops to kill them, they flee. They run to Derby and Lystra. So in other words, they're they're one step ahead of the persecution. But they continue to preach the gospel. So again, what's our response when complications arise or difficulty comes or things that appear if um, as persecution? What's our response? I must have missed God. This, this shouldn't be happening to me. Or it's like, you know what? If we just keep quiet, maybe it'll go away. Or it's this, why me, God? You know, the despair. Does he really love me? Because we know it's all about me. Right? I mean, that's, that's our tendency To be self absorbed in it, that's not the example that we see. These guys have a definite sense of vision and mission, and they're marching forward declaring the gospel. Don't take this wrong, but chew on it. They're not just going into new towns and holding babies. They're not just going into new towns and feeding people. They're not just going into new towns and building houses. They are declaring the message of Christ. And so those things are valuable, but they are not our core message. Our core message will never be tied into just the temporal. You know, fixing problems in this life is valuable, but it is not the core of our message. The core of our message has to deal with the eternal, and so it must always be locked into that. And so, even though we do things in the temporal that will bless others, that is not centrally who we are. So, again, they they've stepped into another town. And uh, they are encountering persecution. Um. They they flee to Lystra, and then they, they meet a lame man there. And here's another powerful thing that God does through them. It says he'd been lame from birth and had never walked. What that should tell us is that he had no muscle development in his legs. Someone who's never walked has never built those muscles. And so for a healing to take place and for this man to to jump up and begin to walk, things would have had to change visibly, even on, on, in his legs. You know, from these spindly little nubs that weren't used, to muscled legs that could walk and, and, and move, they had to be able to see something taking place right in front of them. So this, this would have been a, a powerful miracle. Not that other miracles aren't powerful, but just <laughs> it would have been amazing to watch. When the crowd saw this, they go back to their heritage. You know, he's with the Gentiles. They're going, these guys must be the gods, Zeus and Hermes. So they're, they're into Greek mythology. They're embracing, oh, maybe it's all real. It's, it's our gods in the flesh. And of course, this is not the message that Paul's trying to bring. Uh, and, you know, when he hears what's going on, you know, and they're trying to bring sacrifices uh, to, to make to him and all the rest, and, and they're, they're going, no, no, this, you can't do this. And, and so the response, you know, we're only human like you. But listen to his message. He doesn't start in and say, our father Abraham had the message of God and, and then out of that came a people from Egypt and then they got the land of Canaan and then you know John the Baptist. They don't know about that. They don't care about that. And so what's he start in? It? He says, there's a creator, our creator, who made all things, heaven and earth. So he starts at the the understanding, there is a God who oversees all of creation, who's made all of creation. That's his first point. So again, this is a people that don't have any clue about the history. And so he's starting in at a core understanding and saying, Everything about you has been created by one, a powerful being. And he goes on to say, He has shown you kindness by giving you rain for your crops and the sun. In other words, he is a loving God. So again, the, these core truths that have to be brought to a group that has no understanding. It's part of the the age that we find ourselves in, bringing people to an understanding. There is a God who, who does have authority over this universe, who sends snow in its appropriate season. Like it or hate it, it's here, right? It's His choice. But that same God loves you and desires relationship. And He doesn't get much further, Um, the whole thing is thrown in confusion, and and they end up stoning him, (laughs) which it's incredible to me. Miracle, you should respond, right? Well, not necessarily, it doesn't always work out quite that way. So he refuses to embrace their gods, but he says, this is what life is about. And others have come in and start causing chaos. And, and bottom line is, they stone him and think to death. Haul him outside the city. The Disciples gather around him. He gets up, goes back into town, and then leaves the next day. Uh, but that's you know just uh, powerful things. But what happens? They left for Derby. They preach the gospel in that city now he's had a near death experience we would say you need to take a few months off you know you need to go through treatment you you need a support group here you you're wandering into areas that you know you're going to be burned out from all this and there's there's repercussions from getting stoned by a group of people i mean That's rejection at its greatest, right? Um, Shame he didn't have that group, huh? But he, he just goes on, and he preaches the gospel, which, again, defined the gospel means good news. So he goes in, and even though he has been left for dead recently, He's still declaring, I have good news. And he he, he says that, and that's one, a large number of disciples, so he's convincing enough. Can you imagine bruised up saying, I have good news and being convincing enough that others are responding? Something was going on. But the power of God is going further and further out into regions where it's never been. Well, they get done. They consider it the end of their trip, and they head back. They go back through the cities where they've had trouble. (laughs) That's amazing to me. But they go back through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. So they they go back in in this training of just saying, okay, this is there's some more. Here's some of the good things of God. And then they say, we must go through hardships to enter the kingdom, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They're living testimony, but also it is tied to the faith. And so even though you and I have not experienced much of that, it's not to be treated by us as inconceivable, that that would be a part of our lives at some point. Again, it's up to God what takes place, right? But it's not a thing to be avoided or run from or shied from or dismissed, but rather to say, like Paul is going, this is a part of life from the beginning of time. And acknowledge that when you step into faith in Christ, you aren't necessarily promised that everything is going to be wondrous. You aren't promised that everything's going to walk smoothly, and and, and that's just not what we have. But what we have is powerful enough that it sees us through those times so that a man like Paul, who's been left for dead, is up declaring the goodness of God in the days that follow. And if we allow God to work in our hearts the hope and the joy that's available to us, we can look at everything of life and still say, I have this steadfast hope, an undeniable joy that has been placed in my heart in a way that I can't describe, except that I know it's there and it's wondrous. So they go back through preaching then they appoint elders in each of the churches, pray and fast over them, commit them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. So again, we see some of the, the, their ways of dealing with things. You know, they know they're probably not going to be back in those churches, so they, they take leaders out of the groups and say, you're in charge. Then they lay hands on them, which is, in a sense, a conferring of authority and power and, and uh, saying, we give you what we have. We release you, so to speak. And then, too, this prayer and fasting appears to be a normal part of their daily lives. Which, you know, know, we're all about praying, fasting, well, (laughs) now and then. But for them, it was a regular part of what they did and probably should be explored by most of us, Just saying, okay, Lord, I'm setting this aside so that I can pursue you. And, you know, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's electronics, sometimes it's, you know, I know that's even worse. It's other things, but it's just like saying, okay, this has a significant portion of my life, so it's being set aside that I might pursue you during this season. Anyway. They do that, they report back to the church and and say all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Next chapter we'll get into looking at what goes on in the church in response to this because they're going, "Uh, you went into some area that uh, we weren't ready for and the people responding are not the people that we're used to. So what are we going to do with them? So that happens in Acts 15. Okay? Thank you, Lord, for your scripture that speaks life to us. We pray that even in this history, that you would use it to spur our hearts toward um, life in you and to become all that you desire for us. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been fired from a job?
1: If you have,
0: how did you look at it? Is it an opportunity to take the gospel somewhere else? (laughs) Ever moved into a place where you didn't know anyone? Is it your moment for loneliness, or is it your moment to develop relationships so that God's name might go out to others? You can either walk in the depression of those things or you can step forward into life and say, God has good intent here. I think a lot of times we miss opportunities in a kind of a morose way of just moping about our events rather than saying, God has good intent here. I need to step forward. So I'm going to pray that each one here has opportunity to speak words of life with others. Okay? that you can take the events around you and say, there are people that need to hear that God loves them, the creator of all the universe loves them and desires a relationship with them. And there's opportunity. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to share your good news see your Holy Spirit work through them. I, I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. Be exalted and lifted up, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.